in Joshua chapter 6. Would you please turn it with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 6. What we are going to learn from Joshua, well, what we have learned already. Let's kind of, let's, let's just little slightly review. <clears throat> the people of Israel were asked to go into the promised land. The generation before said, no, no, the, 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 the enemy there is too big, too strong. We can't handle it. We can't deal with the enemy over there, even though God said that he was going to give them the land. So the next generation went in and Joshua brought the people across the Jordan River. But when he brought the people across the Jordan River, what they knew they had to do was to take control of the land. There was going to be battles. There was going to be wars and they were going to have to overtake that land. How that applies to you and me today is that we, like the people of Israel, are, have, have a, a battle that we are to go through. There are spiritual battles that we will go through. And what we are going to learn from Joshua is that the battles they went through and we see how they go through them are applicable to us today. For those of us, those of you here today that are going through deeper waters and we all go through them, I want you to listen to this as closely as possible because you're going to find at least three reasons why and how you can go through what you're going through. It doesn't make your problems disappear, but what it does is give you a, an idea of why and what you're going through and how you can go through it. This is a, a magnificent place in the Word of God, and we can find how it applies into our lives, how Joshua 6 and the people of Israel had to go and do battles. So you and I have spiritual battles today. And if you hang with me, I think you're going to find that that's what we're going to learn today. We've got a lot of verses to go through, but each one of them has its purpose. And I, I, I want you so much to see it. What we're going to do, though is we're going to cover the whole chapter. I don't know that I've ever done this before, uh, <clears throat> but it, it is a narrative. The chapter, as you well know, or, or if you've read it at all, is the whole idea of God telling the, the children of Israel through Joshua that they are to march around the city of Jericho. And he says, I want you to march around the city six times on the seventh time. But when they march around the city the seventh day, they were to march around seven times and that the city was going to fall before them. And he makes a promise to them that the city is theirs. That is for them to take control of. And he makes the same promises to you and me today. He has told you and me, we are in, like the people in the day of Joshua, we are also in spiritual battles. Now our enemy is not like their enemy. Their enemy was flesh and blood. Ours is not. We have a different enemy, but he, God, will help us get through. And I, I just am excited about this place in the Bible. I am so excited to read this place with you. I really don't like reading this much because I slurp and spill all over my Bible and everything here, but I'll try my best. Before we read, read with me, please. Joshua chapter 6. We'll read the whole chapter. Verse 1, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings, with its king and its valiant warriors. 
And you shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And it shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall flat down, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead, Verse 6, So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city, and let the armed men go on before the Ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. And the armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets. And the rear guards came up after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people saying, You shall not shout nor let your voice be heard nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, shout, then you shall shout. Verse 11, So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once. Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua arose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of the ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets, and the armed men went before them, and the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did so for six days. Verse 15. Then it came about on the seventh day that they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times, only on That day they marched around the city seven times, and it came about at the seventh time when the priests blew the trumpets. Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city shall be under the ban. It and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Verse 18. But as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban, lest you covet them and take some of the things under the ban, so you would make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron are holy unto the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. Verse 20, So the people shouted, And priests blew the trumpets, and it came about when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, donkeys, with the edge of their sword. And Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house. And bring the woman and all that she has out of there, as you have sworn to her. Verse 23, So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab, 
her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. And then they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all that she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Verse 26, Then Joshua made them take an oath at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord is the person, is the man who rises up and builds this city Jericho. With the loss of his firstborn, he shall lay its foundation. And with the loss of his youngest son, he shall set up its gates. And so it ends in verse 27 with saying, The Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. That's an amazing place in Scripture. If we were to seek it out and look at verse 26 and find in 1 Kings, we would see that surely there were some wicked kings that came into Israel, and they wanted to rebuild Jericho. And when they did, they lost their firstborn, and they lost their youngest son. God's promises hold true throughout generation after generation after generation. And what we learn from this place in Scripture will be monumental in your life if you are going through some difficulties. And if you are not, the Bible says to you and me that we will go through difficulties. And we will learn much from this. We will learn the attitude of the people who went to take over Jericho. If you'll note, I mean, listen, you know, you don't have to be a... Um, a genius about warfare to know that you aren't going to take a city just by marching around it. And yet the Lord had them march around that city six times. And then on the seventh day, he had to march around that city seven times, blow the trumpets and shout, and the walls fell flat. There's another thing I noted when studying this. As we learned before, Rahab's home was on the wall. She faced outward. And they told her, put a, a scarlet cord out from your windows so we'll know which one is your house. It doesn't mention this here, but every bit of the wall fell. But in this, in this where we just read, they brought Rahab and her family out of her home. And it appears to me that she, her home was the only home that did not fall. God is a gracious and loving God. And there's so much we can learn. And so I, I just ask that you would just kind of hold with me for the next half hour. Listen to these places because I think it's going to be a critical place for your life and my life as we learn what brought these people through the battles that they had to go through and what will bring us through the spiritual battles that we must go through. Let's pray. Please, dear Father, bless us. Bless us, Father. I unashamedly ask you to bless us. Please. Bless each family, each person that's here that's going through difficulties. Father, may they understand the whole purpose of their lives and why we, why we live and why we go through what we go through. Would you please give us, Father, an understanding that goes beyond anything that we've had up to this point. I pray your blessings upon every person here. Father, we love your Son, and we thank you for the bottom of our hearts for allowing us to have the wisdom of knowing your Son. And Father, given us the choice to live for your Son. You have so, so graciously given to us. Father, please, allow us to take this remaining half hour 
and bless you back in return. May we, Father, in some way, this day, our lives, be a blessing to you. And may we learn from the people of Israel who went into the city and captured Jericho. May we learn what they knew. We pray these things. Oh, Father, please, would you move me aside? Would you hide the one that gives the message behind the wonders of the words that we have just read, the amazing and wonderful words of Joshua chapter 6 and how we see that you faithfully gave Joshua and the people Jericho. Bless us, Father. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let me share with you first and foremost, that you and I would be a poor soldier of Jesus Christ if we thought we could overcome this world in which we now live without engaging in spiritual battles. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says that you are all soldiers who come to Christ. He says, follow, no, suffer, he says, hardships with me, Paul says, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And so we would be sadly mistaken if we thought we could have blessings within our lives without the conflicts that come. It would be a terrible mistake to think that you and I could go through our lives without trials, without some battles. In fact, I want to I teach you clearly that truth, not from my words, but from what the Bible says. Would you turn with me two places, James, and then to the right is First Peter. Let's first go to James. Come with me to James chapter 1 and read with me verses 2, 3, and 4. Listen to what James says. He says to you and to me and all who know and love the Lord, he says, consider it all joy, my brethren. Now you'll note there that he is speaking to believers. He is saying, my brethren, my fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, Consider it all joy when, and if you mark your Bible at all, you might want to mark, it is not if, but when, when you encounter very tri- various trials. We all will encounter these trials. It's not if you will, it's when you do. Now, the degree that you go through the trials, it varies. In the first service we have Karen Gilbert, who is here faithfully every week. And she goes through deep waters. It takes every bit of her strength and energy to get dressed, to just function in her day. And I I don't know, she's been doing it for for such a long time. And she's such a beautiful lady. She sits here and she always is dressed to the max. She looks just wonderful. And I know, because I know her a little bit, that she goes through deep, deep, deep waters. We had some other people in the service that I knew were going through deep waters. And and some do and some don't. Some of us don't go through quite as deep of waters. But why we go through it, I'm not sure. And to the degree, I'm not sure. But do we go through it? Yes, we all do. And so as you look again at James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Okay, the question is why, James? Why should we consider it joy when we go through a trial? And James says, because knowing that it will, it will, it is a testing of your faith, and the testing of your faith will produce endurance. And endurance, he says in verse four, will have its perfect result in you, so that you might be lacking 
in, excuse me, you might be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. The testing of your faith that all of us go through produces endurance. And the endurance will have its perfect result. Helping us to be perfect, helping us to be complete, helping us to lack in nothing. Now, turn to the right to 1 Peter. It's just a couple pages to the right. And look at chapter 4. And Peter states these things. In talking about going through difficulties, trials, Peter writes, Beloved, again, speaking to believers, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your... Here's that word again, testing. When, when James says, knowing that, that, that when you go through a trial... It'll test your faith and it will produce endurance. And so Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though something strange was happening to you. No, on the contrary, we will all go through these trials. It is good for you and me to know that we are not immune to going through difficulties. And when we go through them, it's not because God is mad at us. On the contrary, as we're going to see today, when we go through them, it's so that we can learn a lesson, so that it can produce endurance in our lives, and so that we can become perfect and complete, and we can lack in nothing concerning the Word of God. It is an amazing place. But, he says in verse 13, here's a promise he gives to you. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If, it says in verse 14, you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. Your life, my life, our lives as believers involves challenges and conflicts. It always will. Spiritual warfare, we can call it. And whether we like it or not, through these conflicts, through these battles, God will bring to us blessings. But here's a problem. Most Christians have not been taught that the main theme within the Bible itself is God's holy war against Satan and sin. I mean, let's face it, most churches don't want to talk, talk about the, the war that goes on. They don't want to talk about Israel going into Jericho because if you explain that Israel went into Jericho and you read it at all, you see that God commanded them to kill everybody, killed everybody in that place. And how do you justify that before someone who's trying to figure out this wonderful and peaceful and loving God that we're supposed to love? And here we see in the Old Testament there are battles, there are wars, and there are just killings one after another and so for most people instead of trying to get into that and try to understand it we we back off pastors will back away from that don't even mention that because it's just too much and it might turn some people off we're not to do that when we study the bible we're to study the bible line upon line word upon word and we're to try to study every bit of it even the things that are difficult and so thank you for that. And so many churches today try to 
hide against some of the difficult things of God. In fact, they even say, don't bring your Bible. Let's not offend someone who comes into our, our church who is not a believer. And let's not make them uncomfortable by reading our Bibles. And, and, and I say to that person, and I say to that church, and I say to that pastor, how in God's name, how in God's name are you going to help that person that comes in to investigate about Christianity, the truth of the Word of God, without giving them the Word of God? This is the place that we're supposed to give the Word of God out so that you and I as believers might grow in our faith and for those friends that trust us enough to come with us might hear for one time in their life the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and let the gospel of Jesus Christ do its work within their lives so that the gospel can do what it's been given to do and that is so that it might go forth and accomplish what God has destined the word of God to do within all of our lives lives. And so the main theme of the Bible has not been taught in churches because churches kind of try to stay away from it. But the main theme of the Bible is God's holy war against Satan and against sin. And I want to prove it to you. As life began, as we understand it and know it from Scripture, back in the book of Genesis, there was Adam and Eve and God. And God told Adam, of all the trees that are in this garden that I'm asking you to take care of, Adam, you can eat from any tree you want except for one, right? The one in the middle of the garden. I don't want you to eat from that tree. The day that you eat from that tree, you're going to do something, Adam. You are going to surely die. You are going to die spiritually. Because we know Adam did not die when he ate of that, that, that fruit. He didn't die. He died spiritually. He didn't die physically. And at that point in time, the warfare began. So much so that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, after God gathered together Adam and Eve and Satan, who tempted them into eating from that fruit, God made war with Satan at that point in time in the Bible, right at the very beginning. In Genesis 3.15, God says to Satan, I'm going to put enmity. That word means hostility. There's going to be hostility between you and the woman, between your seed, Satan, and her seed, the Messiah that is coming. There's going to be enmity. There's going to be hostility between these two camps, your camp and, Satan, and, and, and her camp, meaning the, the camp of Jesus Christ. And he, Jesus Christ, shall bruise you, he says, on the head. In other words, it's going to be a death blow. And you will bruise him on the heel, meaning it's not a death blow. One day, I, I was reading this week. In fact, last night when I did this message, I read through this whole section with the church. And afterwards, Kay says, don't do that again. You've already read a whole chapter. What do you think? Are you going to read to everybody? It says you're putting us all to sleep. But I want you to see this place in Scripture. Would you look with me at the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter? And she was right. She was dead right. When I did it this morning, the first service, it was so much more pertinent to us as uh, as, as more so than last night. But let me just say something. When I studied this week, it was like, it was unbelievable. It was like when, when, when Lauren just sang that song. I, uh, I mean, it brought me to tears. When I was reading through this section in Scripture and trying to study, I cannot tell you how often I had to stop because I couldn't see my page. I was crying. I, knew, you know, I know. Surprise, surprise. Pastor John Christ. I was. I was 
<laughs> I, was, I was going through it, and, and, and I, I just couldn't. And when I came to this place, when I came to the book of Revelation, the 19th chapter, it just, it just was magnificent to me. It was the glory of it all. It just, it just poured out upon me. Ah, You know, I tell you oftentimes, I'm a little bit off subject right here, but I'll get back in a second. I tell you oftentimes that I would love to be at certain places at certain time with the Lord. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think I would have wanted to have been in Jericho. I, I don't think I wanted to. I don't think I would have wanted to march around the city and then shout and, and then kill all those people. I, I don't think I wanted to be a part of that. But I'll guarantee you, I want to be a part of what's going to happen here in, in Revelation chapter 19. Please turn with me there. It's the last book in the Bible, right near the very end of everything. It is when when God will finally declare victory when Jesus Christ comes and conquers and establishes His kingdom. Now, I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read to you verses 11 through 14 and then verse 20. But listen to this. First service, I cried like a baby reading it. I mean, come on. I, I, I should be an adult here. But it's just, it's, it's like magnificent beyond measure. And we're going to be a part of it. It says, I saw heaven open. John's saying, I, I saw heaven itself opened. And behold, he says, I saw a white horse. And he who sat upon it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he will judge and he will what? He will wage war. There is a war that is going on. This is the final scene. His eyes, it says in verse 12, are a flame of fire. And upon his head are many diadems and he has a name written on him which no one knows except for himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the the Word of God. And the armies, that's you and me, which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. I made a vow that I'd never get on a horse again. About I don't know how many years ago, my family went on a vacation to Montana. And we were on a dude ranch of all, of all things. And we all went horseback riding, and my family were all pretty good horsemen. They were good. My daughter was great. My wife was great. My son could ride. You know, I was, and these horses were like, they weren't like these horses you get out here. These were like stallions. And we were running this way, and my horse went left, and I went right, and I broke a couple of my ribs when I fell, and it was just a terrible fall. And, and I, I, but I want you to know something. It was the blessings of blessings. This vacation it was the first day, first time we went out. I fell and broke my ribs, and I, I could hardly lay down. And, you don't want to hear about me, but let me just say this. It was the best time, because when everybody went out and did whatever we were doing in that dude ranch, I got to sit down in this big cabin that overlooked the mountains and studied my Bible. I had a full week of just studying the Word of God. It was unbelievable. It was the best vacation I ever had. But here we are riding with the Lord, coming in to do battle. Now look at verse 20, what will happen. The beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. One day our Lord is coming back and he will declare victory. But listen, please. If you and I eliminate the militant side of our faith, that is the battles, the spiritual battles that we go through, 
then we must abandon the cross because it was upon the cross where Jesus Christ went and won victory over Satan and sin and set you and me free. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He had to die so that you and I might live forever. So there is a spiritual warfare. On your way back to Joshua, stop in Ephesians chapter 6, please. Ephesians chapter 6. But unlike the warfare that's going on in Jericho, your and my warfare is different. Our warfare is not against flesh and blood. You see, these people had to fight, do war against flesh and blood. Our warfare is against God's enemies. It's in the spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter 6, look verse 10. Finally, Paul writes, Be strong, folks. Be strong in the Lord and in His strength of His might. When you go through whatever it is that you are going through, you find your strength in Jesus Christ. Watch what he says. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Verse 12 is the reason I wanted you to read this. Because your struggle, my struggle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It is against the rulers. It is against the powers. It is against the world forces of this darkness. It is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, the battle that we go through here, unlike the battle that they went through in Jericho, ours is a spiritual battle. Therefore, he says in verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you might be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14 says again, stand firm, gird your loins with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, verse 16 tells us, take up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And verse 17 says, Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. This is what will set you and me free. And then it says, And pray. Verse 18. Pray. Petition. Pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray for one another in the family of God. You and I are in a spiritual battle. So, let's turn back now to Joshua. But we're going to bounce around just a little bit as we close this up. Israel's conflict and Israel's victory at Jericho illustrates principles that you and I can learn from today. What they went through in the physical realm, you and I need to go through in the spiritual realm. And like they had victory, so we have been promised victory. First and foremost, verses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Before the battle begins, the victory was already assured. Look what God says to Joshua, and he related to the people in Joshua chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, no one came in. Then the Lord said in verse 2 to Joshua, Look, he said, see... 
I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its valiant warrior. Before the battle even began, God promised Joshua that the victory was already secure. All of us stand in a position of certain victory because Jesus Christ has already defeated our spiritual enemies. In John chapter 12, verse 31, it says, Judgment is upon this world. The ruler of this world has been cast out. Now, I want you to see four different places. Actually, we're only going to stop at two. Turn to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. What we are going to learn now is that Jesus Christ defeated Satan at every stand. He defeated him through the cross that we would see in Colossians. He defeated him when he resurrected himself from the dead in Ephesians 1. But also he defeated Satan when he stood right before him face to face. Look with me at Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It is the most magnificent of places. Our Lord had just been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And you're going to note in verse 1 that the Spirit of God moved him into this place of temptation. Watch. Watch verse 1. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Well, I should imagine. So now comes the encounter between him and Satan. Look at verse 3. The tempter came and said to him, the word if there should be translated since. Look, Satan knew exactly who Jesus Christ is. There is no doubt in Satan's mind that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There is no doubt in his mind that he is the one who has been given the victory. And so he says to him, since, verse 3, since you are the Son of God. And let me add, since you're so hungry, command that these stones become bread. Jesus answered and said to him, it is written, man shall live, not live on bread alone, but man shall live out of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Folks, is there any reason for us to look any further why we ought to study these, our, our Bibles. This is what will give you life. This is what you and I live for. This is the very essence of life. When the tempter came to Jesus Christ and said, if you really are, since you are the Son of God, and since you're hungry, why don't you turn these stones into bread so that you can have a bite to eat? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's written, I shall not live on bread alone. I'm going to live out of every mouth that proceeds out of the mouth of my Father. You and I need to study and know what the Bible says. So it says in verse 5, Then the devil took him unto the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him again, Since, not if, since you are the Son of God, then throw yourself down, because it is written. In other words, Satan saying, You want to quote Scripture? I can quote you Scripture. <clears throat> I know Scripture too. It is written. He will give his angels charge concerning you. You're not even going to have to fall. Their hands, they'll bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And what has Jesus Christ said to him on the other hand? It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. And so the devil took him again to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And by the way, this isn't just a casual offering. Satan could do that. It would have been, a, it would have been no temptation at all if God knew that Satan could not give him everything that he wanted. And he said to him, all of these things... In verse 9, all of these things I'll give you 
if you'll just fall down and worship me. In other words, you're not going to have to go to that cross. I won't have you do any of that stuff. Just fall down and worship me and everything will be fine. I'll give you all that you say you want. All of these kingdom, I'll give it to you. And Jesus said to him, Begone, 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 man. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we see in verse 11, Satan left. Jesus Christ defeated him in the wilderness face to face. Look at chapter 12 of Matthew, please. He also defeated him while he was here on this earthly ministry, when he was doing his ministry, when he was healing people left and right. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse uh, 22, it says, It was brought to Jesus Christ a, a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb. And, and Jesus healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. Verse 23 says to us, All the multitudes were amazed. They began to say to one another, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. They say, No, 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 he can't be the son of God. He can't be son of David. He's got to be led by, by Satan himself to do what he's doing. Jesus Christ, it says in verse 25, Knowing their thoughts, said to them, Any kingdom that is divided against itself is laid waste. And any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. Folks, let me just pause for just a second. If there's ever a reason that we should be, we should be unified together as a church, it should, you should read it out of that verse, verse 25. Because anything that is divided will fall. It should, be, it should be applicable to this church. It should be applicable to your family. It should be applicable to the place where you work. There should be a common unity. Does that mean that we can't agree to disagree? Of course we can agree to disagree. We, we're going to have different opinions on almost everything. We're, we're human beings, for goodness sake. But to have division, it won't stand. The church will fall. Your businesses will fall. Your homes will fall. Your families will fall. And so then it says, if I cast out Verse 26, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they'll be your judge. And then he gets to the point. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then you can rest assured. I added those words, rest assured. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Folks, he defeated Satan right there in his earthly ministry. Now we could read on and look at Colossians chapter 2 and see that he defeated Satan at the cross. We already know that. We can look ahead at Ephesians chapter 1 and see he defeated, he defeated Satan when he rose from the dead and when he ascended to be at the right hand of the Father. In Romans 8.31 it says, If God is for us, then who in the world can be against us? And the answer is no one. No one. The victory is yours. The victory is already secure. Before you go in to any spiritual battle, know this. The victory is yours. What holds the victory together? Number two, look at, back at Joshua, please. Well, yeah, let's go back to Joshua. And I'll just quote these verses and you can look them up later. In Joshua chapter 6, uh, chapter six verses 6 through 16, the battle then began. Remember, 
this during the battle. And the battle was simply for them walking around the city. But from day one, that's when the battle began. They listened to what the Lord said and they started walking around the city for six days. On the seventh day, they did it seven times and then they shouted and the walls fell flat. During the battle, you and I need to remember how we have overcome the enemy. And it is purely and simply by faith. Let me say something to you. Any army would know that this is no way to win a battle. You just don't march around the place. But God told them to do this. And they trusted in God by faith. You see, Jericho represents the world to you and me as believers. Jericho was strong. Jericho was formidable. But Israel's victory, Israel's victory, just like your victory and my victory in any spiritual battle, came by faith. Hebrews 11.30 says this, By faith, by faith, folks, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled seven days. Now, I do want you to turn here. Please please turn to 1 John, way, way back in this next to uh, the book of Revelation. Turn to 1 John, please, chapter 5. Listen to that great sound. There's nothing really quite better than hearing the pages turn in the Bible. In 1 John chapter 5, John reassures you and me that our battle is already won and we have it by faith. Look, he says, whatever, 1 John, 1 John 5 verse 4, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That's our victory. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Two words, our faith. Faith. Faith is everything to you and me as a believer. Faith is everything. It brings us into the very presence of God. It brings God into our lives. It is faith by faith that you and I have been saved. We have trusted by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. We trust that He died on the cross. We trust that He shed His blood for our sins. We trust that He died and rose from the dead. And we trust by faith faith that he has given us everlasting life and we have overcome the world and our victory of overcoming the world is simply our faith it's always faith and so they knew one thing for sure when before they went into battle they knew that the victory was already promised them by god god says in verse 2 of joshua 6 this is yours i've already given you the victory he says the same thing to you and me Secondly, they knew once they were in the battle, the only way they were going to win was to have faith, trust and faith in God that He would see them through it. Thirdly, after the battle is over, this might be the most important. We need to remember. We need to remember all that God has done for us and we need to obey Him and give Him the glory. It's kind of hard to see, but if you go back to Joshua chapter 6, look at verse 17. Never forget this. All that we have belongs to Him. He gives to us so that we can give back to Him. He says in verse 17, The city shall be under a ban. It, the city, and all that is in it belongs to me, says the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in her house, they'll live because she hid the messengers. Verse 19, But all the silver, all the gold, all the articles of bronze, all the iron, they are holy unto the Lord. All that you and I have are His. And the Lord God says, They shall go into my treasury, says the Lord. 
You see, after the battle is over, we have to remember that it was He that gave us the battle and everything belongs to Him. You know, when I go through life in, in ministry, it, it's not normally hard to get people who are going through difficulties to find their time to pray. You know, families kind of gather together, they strengthen one another, and there is some sort of a, a movement towards something of faith. Trouble usually brings us there. In all of my ministry time, the, the times where I saw the most problems was when, when guys were, were going great, when things were going good. I mean, I was in ministry with professional athletes that, that were struggling to try to make the big leagues, and man, they would never miss chapel. They would come and pray, oh, you know, help me stay on the team. And all of a sudden, they have these super years, and they get all kinds of money, and, and, and all of a sudden, they don't have the time. They don't come to chapel like they used to. They don't worship the Lord like they used to. When victory comes, it's the hardest time to remind yourself that you need to stay true to the promises of God. And what are the promises of God? Uh, see, God doesn't forget. He remembered, he remembered Rahab. He remembered the promises that were made to her. <clears throat> and here are His promises. Turn back with me again to Joshua chapter 1, as we will do often. Joshua chapter 1. Read with me again, verses 6, 7, and 8. Our Lord God says, Be strong and courageous. You shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only, he says in verse 7, Be strong and be very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Don't turn from it, neither to the right nor to the left, so that you might have success wherever you go. This book, this the Word of God, the words of our Heavenly Father, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You should meditate on it day and night so that you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you're going to make your way prosperous. Then you are going to have success, folks. The promises that God gives to us is we must cling to His Word. He says before the battle begins, the victory is already yours. In the midst of the battle, when you're going through all the difficulties, you can overcome through faith. And when you finally overcome and God blesses you, don't forget who He is and the promises that He has made to you. I want to close with this thought. In one of the commentaries, it just, it just spoke to me. There was John Knox, a great missionary. He was a man of prayer. It was said that Queen Mary of Scots feared John Knox and his prayers far more than she did any of the enemy's armies that came against her. What they wrote in this commentary, is society today afraid of what the church and God's people might do today in this world in which we live? Most likely not. They say it's mainly because the church hasn't done very much to display the power of God to a skeptical world in which we live. We, we ask people to come to church and for some churches water down the gospel so as not to offend those that come in and they look at, they look at us and they say, why should I change? I'm, we're, we're, we're a lot alike. The church... And believers who love the Lord are no longer, as we were once stated in the book of Song of Solomon, like a terrible or fearful army with banners. Why are we not anymore? Most likely because the church today is much like the world in which we, we live. We become so much like them that they take in very little notice of us. What we do, who we are, what we stand for, 
We're almost just like everybody else out there. We imitate the world's method. You can go to a you can go online. We can as a church go online and find books that are written how we can grow a church, how we can use uh uh you know uh it used to be Wall Street, I guess it's Wall Street's not such a great thing, but but we could use their methods of growing a church. Oh yeah, why don't we just use God's method? Why don't we just teach the gospel and see what God'll do? No, we imitate the world's methods. We cater to the world's appetites. We do what the world does. Instead of having the world do like we do, we ask people to come to church and we try to make the church like a a country club so you won't feel uncomfortable. Instead of making the church what it's supposed to be, a teacher of the Word of God and become people who love the Word of God and love one another and love our friends. And we solicit the world's approval instead of uh, seeking out God's approval. One thing I want for you and for me is that we are a church. I want it for you so bad I can taste it. I want it for myself so bad I can taste it. I want to be a person who lives in this world in which I live that always tries to, to let my God see that I'm trying to win His approval, not the world's. That's what I want from you. I want you and me to love this place that we live and be such a, 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 a light to this world that the world might say there's something wrong with these people but we can hear God saying yeah they're my children I love them look at what they're doing I want you and I to win his approval and the way we do that is by knowing this our victory is already secured he's won for us When we go through the trials, go through them with faith. Trust in Him. And when He allows you to come through the other side, give Him the glory that He so richly deserves. Hold on to His promises. And the way you and I can hold on to His promises is by taking His Word, meditating on it day and night, and letting it be a part of our life so that we don't go to the left or to the right. That's a little bit of George Bush, wasn't it? Left or the right? So that we could, uh, we could just please Him. I'm sorry I went off on something that was stupid. Let me pray. Father, I want to pray for these people. I love them with all my heart. Not like you do, but I love these people so much. And I love this country you've given us. God, please bless these United States of America. Father, we're going into a week that uh, uh, could be life-changing for some some of us. And, and, and Father, the one thing that I want, and I know all of us here want more than anything, is your will to be done. But Father, I pray that it hasn't been uh, too late, that we have been so watered down as, as a people that we don't even recognize what is right and what is wrong anymore. We've gotten to a place where the scriptures have taught where all of a sudden good has become bad. And and bad has become good. Oh, dear Father, please bless this, this country in which we live. And Father, bless all the people of this church. Bless very, very richly, Father, our obedience to your word. Let us go through difficulties knowing that the victory is ours. And when we go through anything that is a difficulty, Father, may we make it through by our faith and trust in you. And Father, when you give us a breath of fresh air, 
May we be quick to continue to praise you and worship you and give you your rightful place in all that we do, in all that we are, all that we say, and all that we live. Father, thank you for these people. I love them with all my heart. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, for this church. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. I love you folks more than you'll ever know. Have a great day, and I'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much.